Hello, welcome back to the PissCast. My name is Tor. I am your Pitside Dad. I am 53 years old. I go to heavy music shows. I review records. I talk about lots of stories from my youth and becoming a metalhead and a heavy music fan. And uh, that's what we do here. This episode is about the fact that my son is beginning his second year of middle school wrestling. Now, he wrestled in sixth grade. And he took seventh grade off because he found he didn't really like it. This year, he decided to go back all of his own volition. And I am respecting that by not being involved with it at all, including not going to his matches. It's a decision that, as a parent, gives me some, I don't know, feelings. But uh, I think... Overall, I am not a calm presence. I am not a centering influence on his sporting and competitive stuff where wrestling is concerned. So just staying out of it. Why do I mention this on a metal podcast? Well, today's story is about metal, but it's about wrestling and and how metal sort of helped out with a situation in my, my own wrestling career. So we'll do that. We'll do part of that story today maybe a segment or two, and then we'll get out of here. So without further ado, here is the story. Oh, and one last thing, write to me. Pistcast at gmail, P-I-S-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Write to me, tell me you love it, tell me you hate it. Got my first review from LL1842. Thank you so much for that. That was great on iTunes or on uh, Apple Podcasts. So uh, do that for me. Rates, review, and subscribe so that we can grow the audience. Still getting trickles in from other countries. Love that. So uh, again, without further ado, or much more ado, here is the story. It's wrestling season again. Kids all over the country are spending short winter afternoons in gyms, grinding through arduous drills and conditioning so that they can spend protracted Saturdays in gyms, waiting to test themselves against one another in a physical acid test like no other. The payoff, like most other prep sports, is the pride of knowing that on that day, on that mat, you got the better of one other person, or two other people, or three or four sometimes five. Unlike other sports, virtually no one outside of the small, malodorous bubble of the sport cares at all about the result. There are not casual wrestling fans. Accessible broadcasts of matches are not there, nor for the most part are there titles and trophies that once you earn them, prompt municipalities to recognize wrestlers and teams who excel at their craft. Most of the time, it's pretty thankless. That said, its popularity right now is at an all-time high. Since? Maybe since the death of a certain Macedonian-born king who we'll all call Alexander the Great. Which, as we all know, great is historical code for indiscriminate butcher and violent annexer. Part of the reason for this uptick in 
and its popularity is girls slash women's wrestling is just this unprecedented period of accelerated growth. Young women across the country are lacing up their thin-sided, thick-grip zapatos and wizarding, chancelloring, and ankle-picking their way onto the international stage in a way that, along with the sport's role in MMA, has been essential to keeping it renewed and growing. Of course, this should have happened 30 years ago. But where would we be without the laggard pace of gender political reformation and its debt to puritanical superstitions about the corrosive effects of letting women emerge from the shadow of men? I mean, we'd have a virtual epidemic of healthier kids and lower crime rates and massive uptick in innovation and production fueled by the atrophying of nepotistic hiring practices and the sunsetting of the culture of bone-swinging white nimrods, not in the biblical sense, who sell a fallacious American dream with no end gang to those who can't wriggle out from the rubble of a collapsing debt tower. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. It's a sport that has virtually limitless positive benefits around self-esteem, confidence, perseverance, and work ethic. When taught by solid people interested in developing good humans as much as or more than they're invested in creating successful wrestlers, the sport becomes an ideal breeding ground for sportsmanship, and it's perfect in terms of accessibility for youth in underserved and under-resourced communities. I believe in the potential benefits of the undertaking so strongly that despite my pathological inability to engage in my son's sports endeavors in a healthy way, especially wrestling, he's wrestling again this year. My boy is very invested in the social benefits of being able to hang out with his best friend, the glow-up benefits of the rigorous training routines, and the snacks in between matches at the tournaments, particularly the elephant foot-sized double chocolate Costco muffins. They sit atop every stainless steel concession counter at every wrestling tournament from Hilo, Hawaii to West Quaddy Head, Maine. The actual competition, I think he's still growing into appreciation of that aspect, which is how I prefer it. I actually kind of reject the notion that competing in the way that it's framed in most people's sports lessons sets you in good stead for life in the workaday world. Winning being prized above all other things doesn't really help you out in, well, let's say just normal everyday human relationships. Sports attributes that really benefit you in that context are teamwork, respect for your opponent, and resilience. But so he wrestles. And he wrestles hard, and he's growing into an understanding of what it takes to thrive in a one-on-one endeavor where the outcome is in the hands of just you and one other person. He's had some advantages over me in starting down the path of this endeavor, but he's missing one big motivator that I actually hope he never finds. One that I had in spades. That is the fear-stoked fire known as shame. I did not love wrestling. No fault of the sport. At first, I did kind of enjoy the sport, which is funny because I lost, I think, somewhere between 18 and 22 consecutive matches, most by pin to start my career. I was what my teammates lovelessly called a fish, which means a skillless participant who spends more time flopping around on their back than mounting a challenge to their opponent. Soon, I graduated from fish to pogue. Now, this is a great term from the 80s. It's like a derogatory term that, depending on your source, is either homophobic and a characterization of a soft, passive male presence, or a military slang term characterizing a non-combatant 
who elects not to fight due to a deficiency in moral fiber. So yeah, fish to pogue. At any rate, I was terrible and I actually didn't mind it. No success, no expectation, no vulture-sized butterflies banging off the walls of my gut. After the seventh grade season, record 0-11, finishing 10 of those matches on my back, I decided to take my dad up on an offer. You see, my dad was the wrestling coach at the high school just down the road from my junior high. And he very patiently let me know that if I wanted to get better following our season, I could go over and train with the older kids at the high school. Which I did. This began a very slow but progressive body transformation, and it fast-tracked me to proficiency on the wrestling mat. In eighth grade, I lost just one match and successfully managed to scare my bully off for good. That's a story for another time. Over the course of the next three years, I felt a gradual ratcheting up of the pressure to perform. Time and again, at a level evidenced by my displayed skill, but also by the expectation that comes when one is viewed as some sort of child of privilege because of being the coach's son. In the end, the pressure won out. I finished my career early in my senior season with a stinging defeat to a wrestler I should have beaten handily. If I'm being candid, this kind of still hurts today, even right now as I'm talking about it. My shame is easily triggered by disappointing others, and falling short of expectation in such a public and solitary way was and is an easy way to elicit a response from me. That response being, I suck, (laughs) comes from deep within my limbic system. Tor, you say, I'm investing a half an hour or more in listening to this, but what the fuck does this have to do with metal? Glad you asked. Not sure exactly, but I think... It has to do with how one of Thrash's most hated 80s songs carried me through a particularly painful pinch point in my shame-filled and isolating journey of failed expectations. How it gave me hope that I could live life for my own and in my own way. That's foreshadowing. From the late 70s through to this day, Reno, Nevada hosts a holiday wrestling tournament that plays host? to some of the best high school wrestlers in the West region. Reputations are constructed and dashed on the harsh granite of hypertrophied muscles, clenched fists, and braided legs. Today, the spectacle is all a bit better run and a tad glitzier than it was before. But it's basically the same as it was nearly 40 years ago when I was a freshman in high school. Holy shit, that's a long time. I went to wrestle in, at the time, a the most vigorous post-Christmas metal test in the Western States wrestling. That's metal M-E-T-T-L-E, not M-E-T-A-L. That's coming up, I promise. This is not the story of a linchpin moment in my athletic development. Maybe it is. Just not that little engine that could weigh, or Balboa has a breakthrough weigh, or maybe it is. It was December 27, 1984. My dad packed 12 wrestlers into a borrowed motorhome and made a very slow trip over the Sierra Nevadas to the biggest little city in the world. Thankfully, in the years since 1984, somebody who is a lot smarter than the boulder Brain tournament organizers of the early 80s decided to move this tournament from the gap between Christmas and New Year's Eve to mid-December. At the time, however... It was travel on the 27th, wrestle on the 28th, and if you're really good, the 29th as well, 
drive home on the 30th, and ask yourself what happened to your vacation when you returned to school on the 2nd of January. Fuck, kids get so much time off today, don't they? Anyway, Reno's not an ugly city, but in 1984, it also wasn't going to win any prizes for innovative and beautiful city planning. More on this in a little bit. For me, the biggest draw was that the tournament was held at the thin, swanky MGM Grand Hotel. It was a splendidly appointed megalithic eminence in the middle of town, surrounded by, in 1984, not as many buildings as as you might expect, being that it was Nevada's second biggest gambling city of the day. The Brome Motorhome. Introducing the superior size small motorhome. Funny, it doesn't look any wider. But it is wider, 14 inches wider than a van. Mm. Taller, too, with a steel frame all around, even in the top. Mm. That's good. Squeaked and rattled to a stop in the valet queue, and we all ran into the lobby to piss. Shortly after this, we loaded into our rooms, paired up with our bunkie buddies, and put on our singlets and warm-ups. Twelve of us, under the watchful eye of our team captain and personality-stained Jameson, joined the crowd of other fashion-backward wrestlers on a tour of the Grand Ballroom. This is where all the tournament's matches would be contested. It was a lower ceiling than the term grand would conjure, and the lighting was well-suited to, like, a Paul Anka dinner show. But no matter, we still all got a kick out of the prospect of being able to wrestle in a large, ornate space that had more gin absorbed into its carpet fibers than Dean Martin's liver. In fact, it's highly likely that Dean himself had spilled gin on this weave, which incidentally was somewhere between a sisal and a berber. The night before the tournament was pretty eventful. As is the plight of most wrestlers, we had to busy ourselves with exercises and pure boyish juvenility because food was not an option for those of us who wanted to make weight and wrestle the next day. Some of us wrapped up in sauna suits and went out for a frozen jog in an attempt to shed the final four pounds that separated them from their weight class of choice or strength. There were two or three kids who got to have a normal meal, but many of us just subsisted on water or tab and a scant few morsels of nutritive value. Mom, can I have a sandwich? You fat pig! Actually, since it was 1984, most of my team got by on Copenhagen or Skull. Chewing tobacco was a plague on wrestlers in the 1980s, as it was not entirely frowned upon, never endorsed. Try going smokeless. With Skull, Copenhagen, or Happy Days. A pinch is all it takes but not sought out for disposal by my dad or many other wrestling coaches of the day. These are the responsible adults on the trip, mind you. The reason he didn't chase after a can of dip was that it was indeed helpful in getting those wrestlers struggling to cut weight to get closer to their goal. Chew, spit, repeat, and within an hour or so, you've offloaded a pound of water weight. Public service. Wrestling has gotten marginally better in the weight loss department over time, putting in place certain restrictions on how much poundage a kid can cut during a season. But the mentality is still troublingly prevalent amongst coaches, athletes, and parents alike that kids with developing bodies should have an eye towards what weight class they should want to be in for the most mat success. Which weight class actually suits their evolving physical dimensions that are happening naturally is a secondary concern. I have a problem with this. Indefensibly negative cornerstone of the sport. Kids bounce around the scale to avoid certain wrestlers who may pose an insurmountable competitive challenge. At times they suck down because of some completely scientifically unsubstantiated idea that if you're, say, 
140 pounds and strong. If you starve down to 126 pounds, you will lose weight but still retain strength advantages. Bullshit. It sucks. And it's a part of a great sport that blackens the entire Endeavor's eye and persists despite a good number of ex-wrestlers, myself included, internalizing the warped nutritional lessons and utilizing them long after their on-the-mat days have passed. Don't starve your kid. Don't let your kid go without food to make weight. And don't let coaches, my dad included, sell kids on the benefits of integrating a calorically restrictive strategy, which can totally result in binge and deprive ideologies well beyond the wrestling years. Even if this is only for a few months a year, it should not happen. Nutritionists and coaches should be equally involved in a young wrestler's life. Don't take calories away from growing kids. End of story. So, back to myself and a few of my freshman classmates who were also on the wrestling team. We headed down into the bowels of the MGM about 11 o'clock that night because we're young and it was vacation and we we're fucking wrestling and starving. Growling bellies make for spotty sleep. We ambled through the long mallway shopping pavilion, passing all-night jewelry stores and tchotchke shops with snow globes of the casino sitting side-by tippable nudie pens and showgirl playing cards. About halfway down the hallway, the lights broke into a familiar half-on, half-off pattern that usually signals that the area is shut down for traffic or business. Most of the guys peeled off and headed back to the room, citing exhaustion from the chore of having to think without food. Truthfully, my buddy Jack and I were laboring under the same energetic deficit, but we pressed on into the gathering darkness of the half-lit hallway. Most of the storefronts in this wide, blackened throat of the hotel were caged up and dim, but somewhere near the very end was a glowing shaft of light that drew us in like the afterglow's corridor of ascendancy. It seemed to recede from us as we approached it. No doubt the effects of being <laughs> macronutrient deficient, sapping our ability to walk at a normal pace as well. Jack reached the channel of light before me and froze in place. His royal blue warm-ups took on a baby blue luminescent aura as he gawked in an almost catatonic trance at whatever lay before him. When I caught up with him, I too was stricken with a wave of stultifying disbelief. We had either crossed the physical plane into a sensual corner of the spirit realm or our brains were synced up and simultaneously hitting the level of glucose deprivation necessary to induce visual hallucinations. It was as if our teenage ids had hacked into our hippocampi in order to provide the threatening, sexualized phantasmagorium that could pull us, without resistance, into the spider's web. Or in this case, literally into the lion's den. Context note, if you've ever watched an MGM movie from the good old days, you'll know that Leo the Lion roared over the tagging logo of the company before every film. A mascot, a figurehead, a seal of quality. Well, here at the ass end of the resort, a stone's throw from midnight was the venerable Leo himself. Maybe it was one of his relatives. Collared chain around his very real, very alive, and perhaps very sedated neck. Behind him, the MGM grand logo with a black backdrop. In front of him, a weighty camera on a sturdy tripod, and to the left of him, what do you think? A trainer? No, 
Photographer? No. Security guard, that's what it was. Nope. The only other person in this strange little alcove was a fully feather-headed festoon showgirl with a sheer body stocking pulled over her brassiere and spangled bikini bottoms. She sat well within Leo's striking distance in a dull metal folding chair and read Vogue. Or Red Book, or Better Homes and Gardens. I don't know. I was 14, and this was all too much to take in. Jack and I stood there for what seemed like minutes, but was probably in reality minutes, saying nothing. Again, probably some part of malnutrition paralysis. Eventually, the showgirl tossed the magazine aside and looked up. Oh, hi, she said with mild disinterest. She looked like an older woman to me. She was probably under 25, but it was the 80s and nobody dressed to look younger back then. Jack and I tried to make small talk, which was pathetic. She tried to explain why they kept a giant lion on display after hours in the undergirding of the city's biggest hotel. Also explained that the photographer was almost always absent and mostly derelict in his duties. And then I think she got bored with us. We, on the other hand, did not get bored looking at what was in front of us. To our hetero, hyper-driven minds, this was Salome or Karina or some other such temptress whose charms beckon you to very obvious ruin. In truth, we were just dumb hormone slaves looking at a woman who got stuck with a shit job that had all the safety precautions you'd expect from a mafia-run casino in the 80s. We eventually went back to our room, only to find the others hadn't gone straight to bed. They had gone straight to the casino. There they dodged floor security and reached an agreement with a nocturnally engaged businesswoman, convincing her to accompany three of them to their room. My dad and his assistant coach, who were by this time three sheets to the wind, that's the other tradition of this annual tournament, at least for our team, was the grappling squad, coaching staff, brought a blender, and it would always be loaded with tequila, lime juice, and ice. They shit you're wasted. I've had like two wine kills, Captain Buzzcooler. And they kept it worrying long into the night as they hatched strategies for the next day. Now, you don't need strategy sessions for an individual tournament in wrestling, especially when the brackets weren't even filled out until the next morning. But I don't have a good way to finish this sentence. So anyway, my dad did manage to foil the potentially fornicative festivities and sent the young woman packing in a polite but authoritative way. You see, Norm Hansen, wrestling coach, might let a kid get away with mainlining nicotine through the lip, but hanky-panky with a sex worker before a tournament was frowned upon. And that's where we're going to break for today. Really, Tor? No metal? No metal. Well, I, I said the word metal. In fact, I said two different versions of the word metal. Okay, we're inching closer to it. <clears throat> we will get to it next time. But we got to break now or else this episode is going to be far too long. So join me next time. And I promise I'll tell you about that thrash tune that saved my life or did something like that. Thanks for listening. Okay, 
album of the week. Let's do this quick. We got two this week, and both of them will be on my album of the year list, I predict. Uh, first one is Holder versus an Oath. This is black metal from a Belgian slash American uh, front woman who uh, I'm going to see tonight at the Stork Club in Oakland. So I will give you a concert review, maybe in this episode, maybe in the next. Anyway, this is great stuff. It's not, it's semi-traditional black metal in that a lot of tremolo picking and um, very quick tempo stuff, but also black and roll, which breaks it up nicely and allows you to get into a groove, which I really appreciate as an old man. The other thing that there is in, in some of this is some really beautiful classical guitar pieces, like Randy Rhodes-esque type of stuff. So Versus an Oath is the album, Holder is the band, and I recommend Bows Ablaze as a place to start. Vocals are traditional black metal, so don't expect to understand a lot and uh, enjoy. Second, Ponte del Diavolo, Fire Blades from the Tomb. This is, I guess we'll call it progressive Italian metal from, I think they're from Turin, Torino. Man, this is this is probably my front runner right now for album of the year. It's just so varied and beautiful. And there's a little bit of Mesa feeling and vibe to it, but it's heavier in places and it moves around stylistically so much. There's punky stuff. There's doomy stuff. Um, Ponte del Diavolo. Uh, check it out. Uh, even if you're not really into this music, uh, I would I would give it a little bit of a chance. So those are my albums of the week. Check them out. All right, concert calendar. I uh, did end up going to see Holder, which I was alluding to earlier, and they were fantastic. Just once in a while you go to a show. I went to the Stork Club in Oakland, California, which is a place that I love. Uh, This was as packed as I'd ever seen it. Sold out show. Um, Holder. Holder, I should say. Devil Master. Worm and Necrofire. Necrofire I'd seen before. They were, it wasn't as energetic a show as as the last time I saw them. So it was hard to judge them because the crowd was very, (laughs) very black metal crowd, even though Holder's really the most black metal on this bill. Uh, The other two, Worm is is its own thing with elements of of that gothic old black metal stuff. Ne- uh, Devil Master is not black metal. I, I mean, I, I'm going to get slapped for saying that, but they're black and roll. You know, everything is, you know, sort of a four, four, two step and sort of thing with some evil stuff over the top of it. At one point, Devil Master's fans tried to put a pit together, ill-fated. The comical part is that most of these black metal fans were hipsters or hipsters. And at one point, some of the Devil Master fans try to put a pit together uh, to the shock and surprise of a probably 30 young, early 30s young man at the edge of where the pit was who just wasn't paying attention and kind of got shoved. And, and I don't mean like shoved the way you get body cross body checked at a, at a hardcore show. I mean like 
tapped and moved backwards. To which he responded, come on, guys. The Piscast's uh, thoughts and prayers go out to that gentleman, and hopefully he'll make a speedy recovery and be sipping his whiskey from a highball glass at a black metal show near you soon. Yeah, they're soft. But Holder was great and really exemplified the difference between a truly visionary, captivating live performer and musician and, you know, serviceable guys, guys that are really, they're professionals that do a great job with it. That was everybody else on this bill. Holder was something different. And if you get a chance to go see the Decibel Tour, you got to stay to the end and watch Holder because it's, it'll just, it'll take you to a different place. Anyway, the only other uh, concert I saw was a few weeks back in a pouring rainstorm. I went to Taqueria Mila, Taqueria Mila. Spanish is a tragedy. Um, and they're starting to do shows in this tiny, I mean, tiny little taqueria. And I went up there and saw Bonita, which is a uh, local band, and Love Spiral, who I've talked about on here before. And they were just as enthralling live as um, as they are on record. And I just, I love Love Spiral. So that's concert calendar. And on to the next thing. Bangers for beginners time. I'm going to go real quick this week. This is Unleash the Archers. The song is called Legacy. This is pure power metal. Well, I don't know if they call themselves that, but it's what it is. It's inspiring. It's got some sort of fantastical storyline behind the concept. And it doesn't matter any of that. Well, what matters is the inspiring part. Just listen to this. This makes you feel good. This makes you want to go out and and run up a hill or... Um, you know, maybe try and go to your kid's wrestling match without being a total dickhead. But anyway, this is Legacy. This is Unleashed the Archers. It is off of their Apex album? No, this is off the Abyss album. Apex and then Abyss. Uh, Unleashed the Archers are Canadian. Brittany Slays is their vocalist, and she does as her name suggests. She slays, and they just, they're really special. They're pre- they're technically proficient, and I don't like power metal. I always say I don't like these things, and then I end up recommending them. But this song, see if it doesn't get under your skin a little bit. See if it doesn't make you want to pump your fist in the air. Here is Unleash the Archers with Legacy. Why the hell did I say it like that? Legacy by Unleash the Archers. Forgive you for 
right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Next time we will finish up our wrestling slash metal thing. I promise the metal comes in right away the next time. And then uh, we'll have some other segments and go from there. I think the world of you. Write me at P-I-S-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com and keep on listening, recommending to your friends. Rate, review, subscribe. Talk to you next week. (laughs) 